Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. The time has come. The time has come. The time has come. The time has come. You guys hear about LCD Sound System getting back together? Holy shit. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about The Force Awakens. The motherfucking Force Awakens. It is time to talk about that shit. I have seen this movie three times, and I love it. I love it. I love it so much. It's very difficult for me to express with words how excited I am by how much I love this movie. But we gotta, we gotta build up to that. We gotta get there. I have recorded my thoughts after each viewing of the film. So I saw it the first time, and then I recorded the podcast that you're about to hear. My friend Jean came over, and she and I were gonna go out dancing with some people, and then everyone else bailed on us, and then we split a bottle of wine, and we're like, you know what? Let's just talk about The Force Awakens, because that's all we wanted to talk about anyway. So we rolled the microphones, had not planned on recording this podcast, and got this discussion that you're about to hear. It's very silly. <laughs> but it's some great uh, it's some great fun reaction to our both of our first viewing of the film. The second time I watched it was with my parents when they were in town, and then I wouldn't let them tell me what they thought of the movie, put them right back into an Uber, drove back to my apartment, and then set up the microphones and let the floodgates loose, and we talked about it. So that's going to be next week's episode. But anyway, I want to set the stage for you about my first viewing of The Force Awakens. I went to see it at Cinerama, which is my favorite theater in the universe, because it has reserved seating and an incredible screen, incredible sound system. It looks so good. My buddy Justin Minnick got tickets for four of us to go, and he actually walked down to Cinerama to buy tickets because the website broke. The website crashed because so many people had bought tickets. This is way back a couple months ago when tickets first went on sale. So Justin walked down. He got us the first day he could, which was Sunday the 20th at 11 p.m. We had seats in the far back corner of the theater. Still look great because this is such a great theater. There's really not a bad seat in the theater. I took the bus downtown Seattle and I walked over to the theater and I was scared. I felt like I was about to go on a first date with someone. It was like all of this trepidation and excitement, all these years of pent up tension. And I just, I was so, I was terrified. I, I didn't know what to feel. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with my hands. I was just really scared. I had to pee like five times before the movie started. And then the movie starts and immediately I have to pee again. I'm like, fuck, well, I'm not peeing. I am watching the whole goddamn thing, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I walked up to the theater and there was this giant LCD screen billboard that said Star Wars, The Force Awakens and giant yellow letters on a black background. And it, I just like, wow, I just got the chills. It was really incredible. So I got there. I was the first one of my friends to arrive. They show up and I'm just kind of like jittery and weird and not acting normal. And we sit down. Cinerama showed a a Looney Tunes cartoon before the movie and then a couple of previews, which was nice. They They didn't overdo it. Just one cartoon, which was about Marvin the Martian. So it was totally on theme. And then a couple of previews. And then we're into the movie. So Lucasfilm logo comes up and I got to say, I thought I was going to be upset to not have this 20th Century Fox fanfare before the Lucasfilm logo. Didn't give a shit. Didn't bother me at all. Lucasfilm logo comes up, chills, tingles a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then Star Wars, huge, gigantic letters on this gigantic screen. And I, of course, I've, I've lived through three Star Wars movies coming out and seeing them on the big screen. But it was different this time. I, it just felt very tangibly different to me because... The first time I was just like unbridled excitement when I saw the, the Phantom Menace. But this time I've been burned before. So I don't let myself get that, that excited for movies anymore. But when Star Wars hit the screen, I just couldn't contain my excitement. It, and it just felt wonderful to be falling into that sort of intense excitement as an adult. And 
as as someone who is a little bit jaded, just to be kind of swept up into that world immediately before anything even happened in the film was so great. And then the first shot, you have that planet, and the planet looks perfect. It's not like a, a CG planet. You know, it's not like something you'd see in the prequels where it's a little too much deta- detail. It looked more like a planet from the original trilogy. And then the where, where it's a little bit fuzzy and it's got a mood and an atmosphere and it just looks so good. And then the Star Destroyer the, so flies across the screen from the bottom left and you have the uh, like the, the shadow of the Star Destroyer. And I'm just in. I'm just along for the ride. So I'm going to skip ahead and just tell you my overall impression of the movie the first time. I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I think my only real emotion at the end of the movie was relief that I didn't hate it, but I was not convinced that I liked it. Because the first time I saw The Phantom Menace, I thought that I liked it. And I've learned that when you have this much anticipation and excitement going into a film, you need to see it a couple times to really understand how you feel and to process it. So I didn't really talk about it to anyone. This conversation that you're about to hear with Gene was the first time I sat down with someone to talk about the film after my first viewing. And I discovered that most of what I had to say was positive. Uh, I was really bothered by a couple of what I felt like were convenient plot points where things just kind of went in a certain direction because it was convenient. And I'll talk about that uh, at length in this podcast. But I have to say, second, third viewings, those things didn't bother me at all. In fact, a lot of the things that I thought were plot holes were filled in by small throwaway lines of dialogue that I hadn't noticed. And then I really just got used to the plot. (laughs) I think that's a big part of it too. Because A New Hope is very similar where there's a lot of convenient plot points where one thing happens to make another thing happen. Not necessarily because that's the natural progression of things to go, but because we live in this fantasy universe where the Force exists and all these things just sort of happen. So that was my main concern the first time, my main criticism. Uh, And while I do hold by that as a criticism, it does not bother me. And I don't want people to think as they listen to this episode that I'm holding a grudge against those things because I've already let it go. So while I did have some trepidation after the first viewing, I wasn't 100% sure how I felt. I can tell you that I was 100% sure that I enjoyed it that it was a fun movie, that it captured the spirit of Star Wars. And that alone was astonishing to me, the fact that I felt like they did it. You know, they really just did it. And upon my second and my third viewing, I just love it more and more and more. And I'll be talking about that in more detail in the next few episodes. Uh, So anyway, let's get into the conversation. Here is Jean Burnett. She's a, a writer. She's a friend of mine. We've been friends for several years. I actually never really thought I'd get her on the podcast because when I asked her about it, she's like, maybe, which is a no. <laughs> but she's a science fiction writer. She's written some some science fiction stuff. I mean, she's not, by no means is she exclusively a science fiction writer, but she was one of the writers on this short film that just got produced that I got to see the other day that's super cool. And I know she loves post-apocalyptic fiction, and she's just an awesome, rad person, and I was... Really lucky to get her in the room and get her get her on the record about The Force Awakens. So here we go. anything do you like just hear yourself in yeah, your ear absolutely i'm singing a song <laughs> your voice just sounds so much crisper than mine 
I don't enjoy that. Well, do you want to trade? Do you want my voice? Can we please trade voices? <laughs> <laughs> Are you recording right now? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's do this. Well, first, can we figure out voice trading technology? Because now I feel bad. I feel, like, guilty that... <laughs> it's okay. I'll just, like, lower my voice, like, an octave, and it'll be fine. Okay. This is how you talk, right? Yeah, this is totally... Is this Jesse level? <laughs> that is not how I talk. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh... <laughs> but I ha- I've been told I have a lovely reading voice, so... Well, read something right now. I can't. What am I going to read right now? I don't know. Just I can read, make like... it up. You're a writer. That's uh... what you do, right? <laughs> I can't make it up. I don't have that creativity in my head right now. Mm. Well, you're, <laughs> you're drinking out of the face mug. Which is exciting. I'm drinking out of the face mug. It's really exciting. You don't look like the baby version of yourself. That's true. I have to say. Except for the hair. We actually had the same hair as children. We did? Yeah. You had like curly, crazy hair? I can show you a picture. It might take a little bit for me to find it, but let me show you. It's worth it. I want to see it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let me look for it. Tell me a story about you as a child while I look for this picture. All right. When I was a child, when I was four years old. I used to always say, I've been four for a long time. So, <laughs> because before I turned five, I feel like when I, was, when I was four years old is when I first became conscious of my own self-awareness. You're- so, when people would ask me how old I was, I'd say, I'm four. I've been four for a long time. <laughs> really? Every time. Like, I remember getting a haircut and being asked how old I was, and I'd say, I'm four. And yep. I've been four for a long time. <laughs> Were you like an annoying child or? Was oh, that most endearing? definitely. Okay, great. Yeah. I mean, I'm an annoying adult. Not. <laughs> There's like, I didn't realize how many pictures of me are tagged on Facebook. <clears throat> There's so a many. lot of them. I'm really popular. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's not true. Because it's so true. I'm laughing because it's true. Because. <laughs> <laughs> She's so photogenic. She's in everybody's photos. She being you? Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking for you. <laughs> I found like a baby picture of me, but I don't have any hair on me at this point. Like, you don't have any hair on? Oh, let me see. Oh, my God. That's me as a baby. That's adorable. Okay, but that's not me with curly hair. I have to oh, find this really photo. Cute. All right. That was kind of a This bad. is great podcasting. Rule number one how of long, podcasting. How long can this record? Oh, forever. Okay, we, great. Rule number one of podcasting. Talk about images that no one else can see. <laughs> it's riveting. We're having a moment. We are. Let's just look for my photo. I know that it was around some birthday that my brother posted this photo of me. Oh, oh, found it. Let me see. Oh my God. <laughs> Holy shit. I was like the coolest You're so cool. Ever. You look like a rock star. Like, I know. You look like a, like a 90s... Like grunge rock musician in this picture, your hair is like super tall. You're wearing a denim jacket. You're standing in front of a, I was cool, a dude. fish tank that's. I don't know empty. about the fish. I it's don't a know terrarium. About that. It's <laughs> it's not even a fish tank. It's a terrarium where the background is water, and but there's no water in it. Right? Is that what I'm seeing? I don't. Or is there water in there? I don't know what our like fish tank situation was at this year, but okay. I know that I look cool as fuck. You look really cool. I know. And I also had big hair, so I feel that. That was the point of this, that you have big hair and I have big hair. High five. Yay. There we go. <laughs> uh, so, 
<laughs> so, Jean. Yeah. What did you think so, of The Force Awakens? <laughs> uh, I loved it. It was. I think I texted somebody right after I watched it, and I was like, "This is this was delightful." I used those exact words. I was like, "Star Wars was delightful." Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm like. I like ju- I just rewatched the Return of the Jedi before the night before. It was the remastered version. It was the only one I could steal off the internet because I don't buy anything. <laughs> so anyway, it was the only one I could find. It was the only torrent I could download. Was this remastered version, and it was just like a horrible reminder of what those first the new movies were. And so I wasn't like going in with like the best Wait, attitude. Return of the Jedi was a horrible reminder of how bad the prequels were. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, I got that you. That's what I'm saying. So you love Return of the Jedi, is what you're saying? <laughs> I just want to be clear. I liked Return of the Jedi. I did not like anything that was inserted into it afterwards. Right. That's correct. <laughs> it was so bad, but it was worse than I remembered. Yeah. Because I had seen a remastered version of it, but it was much worse. Yeah. Anyways, the point was, I was like, okay, great. Glad that I saw this chain of the movie, but now I'm worried about right. round two on the new movies. <laughs> right. Because like uh, the original movies were incredible, but then everything they did to them later sucked, and then the prequels kind of sucked, and then... It's just like I, I don't believe that new Star Wars can be good, right? Right. Yeah. Nothing new can be good. Nothing right. remade can be good. Yeah. No sequels can be good. <laughs> That's what I know. Thanks, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so you want to fuck Oscar Isaac. Is that what's happening? Like- yeah, but uh, way to change the subject. <laughs> but yes. Why don't you love Oscar Isaac? I don't know. I, I, I just think he has a smug face. I just think he has a smug face. And yeah. he like. He has a way about him that he was like, he was like an attractive man when he was young, and mm. now as an older man, he knows that he is an attractive man. And the worst men are the ones that know that they're attractive. And that's Oscar I mean, I Isaac. can't argue with that, <laughs> but but he's so he's so great. Okay, like, like, can you describe a date with Oscar Isaac? Like, what would you guys do together in we, your head? Okay, we would escape. From an Imperial Star Destroyer, excuse me, First Order Star Destroyer together in a okay. TIE fighter. All right. And crash who would, land okay, on Okay, who a would fly planet. and who would shoot? Uh, he would fly and I would shoot. Really? This is an easy question. Are you like, like you're not even going to try to be better at flying than him? Uh, of course not. Okay. He's like right. the best pilot in the galaxy. All right, all right, all right. He's, he's so fly- charming. He's flying, you're he's shooting. Like the most charming man in the universe. Okay, what's your Nay, like, the galaxy. What's, what's like- the difference between <laughs> the universe and the galaxy? They're like the same thing. They're both shrinking and we're all going to die in like a billion years. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what's coming up for us, dude. Question. Yeah. Are you a pessimist? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> I believe in the kindness and goodness of people. I just think we're all going to die. Okay. So. I mean, I agree that we are all going to die. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Dude, every time I hear anything about the Hadron Collider, I'm like, they're going to make a black hole that's going to suck us all in and we're all going to die. So I also cannot disagree. Right? Okay, so why don't... Anyways. Why don't you like Oscar Isaac? He's so charming. Um, I just... I don't trust him, I you guess. You don't trust him. He doesn't have eyes that are open. They're like closed mm. off. He has a secret behind his eyes. Interesting. Yeah. 
I hate that you're making me question Oscar Isaac because because you I'll know his you. eyes are not emotive. They're like, oh, like you does he so? like me? Doesn't he like me? That's how I feel on most of my dates. You know. <laughs> like my biggest takeaway from seeing The Force Awakens was I think I'm in love with Oscar Isaac. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, good on you. Cheers. <laughs> you found your love. <laughs> there we go. Um, so. Mm-hmm. So what'd you think? What'd you think? Tell me more about what you thought of the first movie. I thought that J.J. Uh, Abrams was like, you know what? The first movie was really good. The original movie, A New Hope, was awesome. I'm yeah. just going to remake that movie, but kind of update it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you think that's a good or a bad thing? I think that was great. You know, it's like, why fix a thing that is work Or why, you know, it was totally. working. Totally. It was not, not I took working. that as like a, guess what, universe? I can make a Star Wars movie that kicks ass. And by I'm going to do it by remaking the like the original was great. He followed I mean he followed all the templates of right, the original. Right, exactly. But he was like proving that he could do it. Yeah. He's proving that a new Star Wars movie can be made that feels like an old Star Wars movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I was totally okay with that. I mean everything was introduced in like the the pacing of that movie. All the characters were kind of the same but a little different. Yeah. I mean there was something new to the new movie, but it was definitely like watching a new hope all over again. <laughs> totally. Which I, I mean, love doing. De- right. It was delightful. It was delightful. Yeah. Except for Han Solo and Carrie Fisher's daughter. <laughs> or son. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Except except for him. You, uh, you really him. don't like Kylo Ren. I really hate Kylo Ren. First of all, why does he have a British accent when neither of his parents do? He didn't Where have did a he- British accent. Yeah, he did have an accent. Did he? Yes. No, he didn't. Yeah. I will finish. What you started. No, he has an accent. No, 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 no. I did not notice that. Really? No. Was I the only person that noticed that? Yes. No, he has an accent. Watch the movie again. (laughs) I would love to. Let's go right now. That was like the first comment I said to somebody, and so I think that it was like a real thing that I heard. I did not notice that. I think that's a fake thing that you... No. Imagined. No. <laughs> it was like as soon as you go to the dark side, you also become a British person because everybody was, everybody had a British accent on, you know, well, the yeah, like questionable side of the force. It was like, uh. That's like a Star Wars trope is that like all the Imperials in the original trilogy all had British accents. Did they all have British accents? Yeah. I didn't know that. And then all the rebels had American accents. It, it, George Lucas says it was a way to kind of distinguish between the two. But it's a, it's a weird racist thing that I... <laughs> That I don't quite understand. It's like it's a weird thing. Like the in uh, episode five in the Empire Strikes Back, I think his name is General Rykian on uh-huh. the the rebel base on Hoth uh-huh. was played by a British actor, and they overdubbed him with someone who was even very, more British, very American. <laughs> oh, <okay>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he just sounded like crazy American, and then. It's just, I don't know, it's a weird, like, distinguish between the two. Which is why it's so interesting that Ray has a British accent. But have you heard the theories about that? No, I haven't. So there's a lot of theories about who Ray's parents are. The right. prevailing theory is that Luke Skywalker is her father. I mean, he, he is totally her papa. Like, right. that is, right. that is true. Going into this movie, I really thought that Ray was going to be Han and Leia's daughter. Right. Because in yeah, the ex- no, I did too. I in did the expanded too. universe, they have twins, Jaina and Jason. Mm-hmm. And Jason goes bad, and Jaina does not. So I really thought that it was going to be a play on that, especially when I found out that Kylo Ren was Han and Leia's daughter. I was like, oh, Ray's totally Han and Leia's daughter. And it's totally a Jaina and Jason thing, just like, mm-hmm. you know, renamed. But uh, through the course of the movie, it became clearer and clearer that it was, you know, that she was 
Luke's daughter. Right, 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 right. So then the question is, why does she have a British accent? And I read this amazing fan theory that I totally agree with, <laughs> that during his tenure as a hermit on Tatooine, Obi-Wan Kenobi took a lover and had a daughter. Later on, Luke Skywalker discovers this daughter of Obi-Wan Kenobi, falls in love with her, has a baby. That baby is Rey. The daughter of Luke Skywalker oh and Obi-Wan Kenobi's daughter. No. Because Obi-Wan Kenobi was British, and that would explain why Rey would have a British accent. Obi-Wan Kenobi is the only good guy from the original trilogy with a British accent. That's true. That's true. I don't know. Also, the background radio that we're picking up, there's like a saxophone. Yeah, no, it's like very it's intense. really distracting. It's like we're in a weird hotel bar. Yeah. Is this is this all getting is this also getting recorded? Yeah. It's very annoying. Did we both just start singing along at the same time? I don't know, I guess so. Did you just spill whiskey on yourself? Yeah, a little bit. That's okay. I'm sorry. It's alright. I mean you spilled on yourself. I can't. I have no problem with that. Alright. You didn't spill on anything that I own. But well, now no, you just you just flicked whiskey here. onto we're my fine. cell phone. We're that fine was, now. It's like all that good. Was it's all great. Maybe rude. Um, but <laughs> there was like something that I wanted to say to you about what you were saying, and now I can't remember. Remind me. What were you talking about? I was talking about Obi Wan Kenobi being the potential oh, grandfather no. of Rey. Um. Okay. Maybe. Perhaps. However, I did have like so many questions about like who was this mom? Why was she not involved in this movie at all? Like yeah. and how did he like bed somebody that fast? Like he wasn't like a suave dude in those movies, you know? He was kind of like an annoying Excuse me. an annoying little bro just like trying to like, you know, save the world. <laughs> dude, Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi has like the weight of the universe on his shoulders. It's fucking okay, hot. But he what? You thought it was hot? Luke Skywalker in Empire be the Strikes most Back annoying is in those really movies. attractive. Okay, yes. Agree. And slightly less so in Return of the Jedi, but still very no, attractive. he's just like, he like pretends like he has all the answers, you know? And then, you think so? Yeah. Interesting. And in, he, in Jedi? In Jedi, he just acts like, oh, like, I figured it all out. Everybody, like, jump on the Luke train. Like, he just like, every time he walks true, into actually. any situation, he's like, true. I know everything and nobody else does. I think he does it. I think it's really interesting that he d discovers his power and then kind of seems like he's got a handle on it in Jedi, but he does not. I mean, the whole crux of that movie is will he turn to the dark side or not? Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, it very clearly shows that he does not have control of his power. I didn't ever feel there was any point in that movie where it was like, oh, he might go to the dark side. I know, which is such a missed opportunity. There was, I mean, there was definitely an opportunity to be like, oh, this could be more complex, but it was right. not that. For sure. I, I feel like, I mean, Return of the Jedi definitely pulled all of its punches, which is very frustrating. Bring, bring us back to The Force Awakens, though. Harrison Ford asked George Lucas to kill Han Solo in Return of the Jedi because he wanted that, he felt like that character needed to die to create dramatic tension, to really push that movie over the edge. Mm -hmm. And... George Lucas said no. And a lot of people think it's because, like, George wanted to make sure he could still sell the toys or whatever, or he, he wanted to make more of a kid's movie. Uh, and I just read something today that uh, Justin Minnick sent to me about how George Lucas's 
first wife who he was married to when he made those movies and mm-hmm. divorced right before like during the process of making return of the jedi oh, God. was the person who was kind of editing george lucas to make sure that his story beats were all working and he, mm-hmm. she was the one who recommended that obi-wan kenobi die in the first movie mm-hmm. and it might explain a little bit about why jedi doesn't quite hold up to the others and why mm-hmm. the prequels are so off is because he didn't have an editor that he was listening to, which was this this woman, um, Marsha Lucas. So was she only there for the first, like, two from the original? She was an assistant edor- editor on Return of the Jedi. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, Marsha, Marsha Lucas. That's her name, Marsha Lucas. So, so, yeah, so Han Solo having the opportunity to die mm-hmm. felt like the closing of a book that had been open for too long, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I was so enthralled with that death scene. I just thought it was beautifully done. And really? I know I know you don't like Kylo Ren, but I loved Kylo Ren. I mean, I, no. I felt like Kylo Ren was maybe the best part of this movie. Like, really, not just the birth of a hero in Rey, but the birth of a villain in Kylo Ren, where you're setting up someone who you can truly hate. Like, tr- mm-hmm. you can truly hate this person. Because not only is he the villain, but he's the son of two of the most beloved characters in nerd history. And exactly Han, though. That's why I can buy him as a character. Why? It's because you're coming from Han and Leia. Your uncle is Luke. What is the reason that you're so obsessed with this idea of like your grandfather, Darth Vader, who in the end really like tried to do the right thing, you know? But Kylo Ren doesn't accept that last moment of Darth Vader's life as being what defines him. He thinks of all the rest of it, like the killing of younglings and the like the domination of the galaxy. That's mm-hmm. what he looks to as his role model. So here's this angsty teenager who grows up feeling like he's not fitting in with his family and like has this power inside of him and it kind of corrupts and twists him into this even more angsty, like horrible version of himself who hates his parents (laughs) and like hates the way that he's being brought up and turns to this outside influence to lead him yeah and becomes like uh evil i I think that's really compelling i mean i think i would need to see more of that story i think that i did not see the progression of that story enough to be like i am invested in this man's downfall and yeah, I'm invested in this man's story. I don't think we got to see any of that. And because we didn't see that and we had to infer so much about that situation, I just like I don't feel connected to his story. <laughs> there was a lot of this movie that was all through inference. Like mm-hmm. they didn't show a lot of the backstory. Uh, they didn't show any of the backstory. And there's a lot of backstory that happened between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And I think for me, having read so much of the expanded universe, and mm-hmm. this this felt like they were making a movie out of the expanded universe to me, oh, okay. which was so cool because because you have you know Jaina and Jason solo where one goes bad and one does not. We have these twins of of Han and Leia. One turns to the dark side, and it's the male twin that turns to the dark side. Hmm. Having a son of Han Solo and Princess Leia like turn to the dark side felt so right to me because I grew up with that. Like I grew up with that idea, and the fact that his name was Ben was incredible. I loved it because in the expanded universe, Mara Jade and, and uh, Luke Skywalker have a son named Ben Skywalker. Wait, his name wasn't Ben, though. Was it Ben? Yeah, Ben Solo. 
Really? That oh, the, my favorite moment of the whole movie is when Han Solo screams across that catwalk. He's like Ben. And oh then yeah. Kylo yeah, Ren yeah. turns right, around. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, my, that's my second favorite moment. My favorite moment of this movie is when Han Solo cups his son's face as he's just been killed by his son. Beautiful. Beautiful. I wish I could feel this. I think because I don't have all the like background lore that I don't. I just like I wasn't. I didn't feel emotionally invested in it. And it felt like. Really? The movie. It was like the audience. I don't know. It was just the movie was delivering something that the audience wasn't ready to like you know, embrace. Maybe that's just, Crazy. I don't know. I didn't feel that way at all. And all the background lore that I'm referring to has all, is all non-canonical. Like it does, is not official story anymore. Mm, okay. Like Lucasfilm threw it all away when they decided to make the new movie. And rightly so, because then it freed them to make something surprising and new. But I, you know, I had no idea that Kylo Ren was Han Solo's son before I saw the movie. Mm. And I had no idea that like Han and Leia had a son who was going to turn bad until I saw the movie. It felt so right to me because it was very similar to the expanded universe stories that I grew up reading. Right. But um, I also I also really appreciated that there was a lot of story under the surface that they didn't really tell in this movie, and it was told through the acting, which was so cool. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Han Harrison Ford. I think Harrison Ford knocked it out of the park in this movie. I've I mean, it, he was definitely the best from the original crew. <laughs> for sure. Did you feel like he was? Uh, Living up to the legacy of Han Solo in this movie? Uh, you know, I did. But of course there's like something like charming about his younger self that is no longer there. But it kind of worked because, you know, it has, all the years that have passed and like where he is now, I feel like it fits the Han Solo that would have like grown, that he would have grown into. Totally. No, I agree. I was so pleasantly surprised by his performance because I've seen some of his performances, namely Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal oh, Skull. God. Where, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, this is garbage, you know? Uh, where I really didn't feel like he was pulling it off. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like he pulled it off as Han Solo. I, yeah. I never questioned for a second that it was Han Solo. Who right. was, it didn't seem like an old Harrison Ford to me, you know? It just seemed like, an, like a an hardened older, Han Solo. A hardened, like older hardened yeah. Han Solo. Yeah, yeah. And I love the idea, because Han Solo is the quintessential rogue he was so attractive yeah he was so like i was so attracted to him in those movies and the originals even when i watch them now i'm like i wish i could go back in time just to meet this han solo (laughs) this version of harrison ford playing han solo just to have the chance to have one night where you're sitting at a bar (laughs) next to harrison ford that would be so great and maybe he takes you back to his hotel maybe room. we get maybe we get married I don't know <laughs> something like that can happen I like how you jump from from this like one night in a hotel to <laughs> getting married maybe we, we get have married. children like make a legacy together whatever maybe one of them turns to the dark side <laughs> who knows <laughs> so yeah I I really felt like he pulled it off no he pulled it off he really yeah. did a couple of people have said to me that they, and I've read, I mean, I as soon as I saw the movie, I started reading I just, everything I have online. to say, though, like, the chemistry between him and Carrie Fisher today was awful. Like, <laughs> it was so terrible. I didn't huh. believe it for a second that they were ever in love and that they had ever had a son together. I just, like, didn't believe it, you know? You were Which saying. Which really disappointed me because I, I think that she was the worst part of that movie. Yeah, yeah, you were saying that earlier, that you thought she was the worst part of the movie. Tell me, tell me 
about that. I just, I didn't feel like that was the, you know, she was not the princess that I had known in movies prior. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with, like, she probably just didn't have enough work in between then and now to, like, keep her acting going. (laughs) Right. So, I don't know. I just think when they were together, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel like two people who had been in love, you know. And I think, I mean, I also had just seen the last movie, The Return of the Jedi, right before I saw Force Awakens. Yeah. And I feel like the relationship there was like, you could feel it. And then in this new movie, it was just like two strangers kind of being like, oh, we had a thing once. It's kind of weird. Why are we touching each other? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's why that worked for me. Is because they went through this insane traumatic experience of having losing their son. Right. Okay. And and it turned them into strangers. And when they came back together, all they wanted was to be close because they love each other and they miss each other. But when they look at each other, all they see is their lost son. And didn't didn't Han I mean I've only seen it once at this point. Didn't Han say something about how like when you look at me all you see is him? I think I think he did. I don't know, I've only seen it once too, so And she <laughs> said something along the lines of like, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> Yeah, that was her exact quote. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, no, but that I, worked for me. I try to equate it to like a couple who like loses a child, who who like a child dies, and yeah. then like how do you relate to each other? Right. And like oftentimes that does separate people. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. How can you like relate to each other after this horrible thing has happened? Right. But because looking at each other just reminds you of the tragedy that you've experienced. But I don't think that I got that sense from how they interacted with each other. You know, I don't I don't think that I yeah. had that intimacy, like, undertone to their relationship. <laughs> yeah. In the original trilogy, Leia was so combative mm-hmm. all the time. And I loved the fact that she was very welcoming of Han when he showed up. Mm-hmm. Because I expected her to be just like really combative like she was in the originals but, but I, I did that, not like that because i'm really? like where is the princess that we knew that was like fucking a tough bitch and she's like i'm not gonna take any shit from anybody <laughs> but i think that they've went through they've gone through so much together that just seeing him was a relief to her mm-hmm. and she just needed him back in a way not necessarily like back as her husband or whatever he was to her but just like she needed him back as the support that she'd lost after losing her son. Imagine losing your son to the dark side and then losing your partner. It's devastating. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so yeah. what what do you think of of Ray and Finn? Uh, <laughs> I I hope they fall in love and have many babies together because I love them both so much. You you love. I just think it's great that. I feel like in their relationship, uh, she's really kind of the power player, you know? Yeah. She's like the cooler one of the two of them. Definitely. And I really like that. It's like she's the new Han for the whole, like, you know, situation. <sighs> when you said that, it almost, like, broke my heart. Because, like, the scene at the end where Chewie's her co-pilot. Yeah. Just breaks my fucking heart. I mean, yeah. It was heartbreaking. But she's so cool. She's so you badass. You can't, like, rege- I, like, praise this movie for making me accept all the new players of this universe with the same fervor that I felt for the original crew. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite there. Uh, I love them all. Mm-hmm. I love them all so much. But it's hard to love anyone more than Han Solo when Han Solo's in the movie. Right. So I feel like they set up these new characters really well. And then next time, I'm so excited to see them again. Yeah. 
and I'm happy that, in a way, I'm happy that Han Solo won't be there to overshadow them because he overshadows everyone because he's fucking amazing. <laughs> you love him. I do. <laughs> <laughs> do you love him? Do you love Han Solo more than Oscar Isaac? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish we could interview him. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, why do you look so smug? And he'd be like, do you want to marry me? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, everything with you just jumps immediately to marriage. Do you, uh, do you have something you want to say? <laughs> I, I, I would marry Han Solo original trilogy. <laughs> yeah. So is the question, do I like... Han Solo better than Oscar Isaac in this okay, movie? Or, you, or okay, just no, no, in general? No. In okay, general, in no, the original trilogy, I like Han Solo better than anyone. Let's, okay, let's make right. that clear. He is better than anybody in the original movies. But right. would you rather go on a date with uh-huh. Oscar Isaac or Han Solo from the original trilogies? <laughs> like, okay. Poe Dameron or Han Solo from the original trilogy? Yes. Okay. Yes, we'll go with char- both characters. Okay, I'd rather go on a date with Poe Dameron because why? Because because based off of his chemistry with Finn, I think I'd have a better shot of getting some. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I guess I you mean, don't want to go for a challenge, you know? Like mm. Han Solo's like way out of my league. He's way out of all our leagues, really. Right. Damn. All right. Yeah. I'll accept that answer. Thank you. Oh, what did you think? What was the eyeglass lady called? What was her name? Maz Kanata. Maz. So, okay. The one thing that I... She was just a magical black lady, but in alien form. Let me just tell you that right now. That was a TV trope that he used for that scene. Yeah. And something else I read about that character is that she's based off of... J.J. Abrams' elementary school teacher. And there's a picture of her, and she wears gigantic glasses, like just like Maz Kanata did. So, yeah. Apparently, there's this teacher that really inspired J.J. Abrams, and he immortalized her as this character, which is awesome. That's awesome. But she wasn't my favorite. No. I do not like when they use CG when they don't have to. And I felt like making that character CG didn't work because she didn't feel like she had substance. Mm-hmm. And especially uh, like Snoke. Snoke as CG looked oh terrible. God, it was just like, hi, Voldemort. What are you doing to this movie? Yeah. I didn't know. Like, it was so dumb. Why was he so much larger than everybody? It just made yeah. him seem so comical. He and, was like, like not em- real. Emperor Palpamort. <laughs> <laughs> every like every time I saw it, I was like, "There's fucking Voldemort again." Yeah, it was like Palpatine and Voldemort had a baby, and it's Snoke. It's a giant alien baby. Snoke yeah. did nothing for me, no. and I, I appreciate the fact that he's a hologram. Uh, and hologram technology has advanced since mm-hmm. the last trilogy, so he looks more real. Okay, but why did they have to make him CG? I mean, it really he the CG didn't look great. No. No, no, no. It really didn't. And that's the thing about this movie is that there was so many practical effects that mm-hmm. all the CG was very out of place. Right. Did right. you feel that too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, one of the places that bugged me the most was in the Han Solo death scene when he's walking out on the catwalk. It was very obviously a blue screen. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a very terrible blue screen. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, 
Guys, you did a better blue screen in The Empire Strikes Back when Luke is on I the know. catwalk. I know. No, it really, like, that's why it sucks so much to see him die in that moment because it was like, this should be like the most beautiful moment mm. of all cinema. And <sighs> it was like shoddily done. <laughs> well, I will say that the emotional content of that moment transcended any technical issues for me. I, I mean, I love for that you. death scene. I for love you. that death scene. Right. I was so, I mean, I never thought in a thousand years that you could kill Han Solo and make me feel good about it. But I thought it was fine. I was like, uh, I mean, I, it hurt. It hurt emotionally. But it was such, like, the movie lacked stakes. And that move, that moment was the one moment that really upped the stakes. Mm. I don't know. I think that's why it didn't work for me, because there wasn't any stakes. There was not. Mm. There was not. But the stakes of a father losing his son and trying to get him back, I feel that. Like, yeah. I really feel that. And then the son struggling... And like I knew, okay, I knew Han Solo was gonna die from the moment that Han and Chewie started laying charges to blow up. That, because he gave his that thing the the detonator to Chewie. Maybe that was it. Yeah, maybe that was it. I don't know why, but I just knew he was gonna die. Right. I knew he was gonna die. And also because at that point in the movie, I was very aware of the fact that it was hitting all the emotional beats of A New Hope, and I knew that your mentor figure has to die. It just. Right felt like it was coming. So I got to enjoy that scene from the point of view of knowing that Han was going to die without having, without really knowing what was going to happen. But li- listening to the dialogue of Kylo Ren where he says, like, there's something I need to do and I need you to help me do it. I knew he was talking about killing his father. Right. And like my heart was stopping in my chest because I'm like, wow, like they're going to do it. I know. They're somebody somebody asked me after that. They were like, uh... Did you like, was there ever a moment that you thought that he was like good, that he was like trying to change in that moment? I'm like, yeah. no, no, he wanted to kill his dad the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing good in that little shit. Like he was totally awful. Yeah. And that's why I can't connect to that because he's not a complex villain. He's just bad. But, but the, the complexity complex- is that his parents love him so much. He doesn't respond to it. You don't see him like. You have to infer all of that. You have to infer his parent, his parents' love. You have to infer their like complicated relationship. You don't see any of that. You don't hear any of that. So all you have is just this like little shit tar that's like killing his dad, <laughs> who's like the coolest dad in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and you just, I don't know. It's hard to connect with. But you know, I don't, I don't doubt that Han Solo would probably be a bad father. No, I totally believe that he was probably not the, like, A-plus dad figure that he should have been. The fact that Han Solo had kind of regressed was amazing. I -hmm. I loved it. I love the fact that when you meet him, he's just a smuggler again. Mm -hmm. Where all of this progress that he made in the original trilogy was good up until a point until something really, truly awful happened to him. And then he goes back to his old life. And so did Leia. I mean, she admitted that to him, too. I think she'd forgiven him for it because she had done it as well. Yeah. Where they went back to what they used to be because they couldn't handle being who they'd become when who they'd become had led to their son turning to the dark side. All of this, like, resonated so strongly with me. I wish that it had with me. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it did not. It did not. Interesting. But, I mean, but you did love the movie. I mean. No. Overall, I love the movie. I was so delighted by it. I just was, I was like cheering with everybody else in the theater. Yeah. But there, I, there was definitely, 
I think that I feel like he was the one part of that movie that I could not get on board with. Just Kylo Ren. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. The, there's there is one part of this movie that I could not get on board with, and it was the the conceit in the storytelling that happened several times, where you know that they want to get characters from point A to point B, mm-hmm. and then they do it through convenience. Right. And that happened over and over. Yeah. The worst moment of that was when. Kylo Ren and Rey are fighting at the end and a chasm opens in the earth to separate them so that Rey doesn't kill Kylo Ren. And I've seen this so many times in movies where a chasm opens in the earth and characters are separated. I know. It's like, oh, thank God that chasm opened. Uh, I hate that so much. And I mean, I've started to blame J.J. Abrams for moments like this because... Moments like that were my problem with Star Trek Into Darkness, mm-hmm. where I love the Star Trek 2009, but Star Trek Into Darkness... I don't know, Darkness... I didn't see any of the movie because it was too blurry, because everything was just happening, so... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see a whole scene without a little blur on it. <laughs> Interesting. Um... <laughs> I hated Star Trek Into Darkness, by the way. Oh, so did I. Yeah. The but... first hour was great, the second hour was, like, trash. <laughs> and there's no forgiving it. But, so... Yeah, like that movie, that moment in Star Trek Into Darkness when Kirk is talking to McCoy. Well, he's he's talking to Khan, uh-huh. and they're having a really intense conversation yeah. in sickbay, and then he turns to McCoy. He's like, "Bones, what are you doing with that triple? It's so out of place." And he's talking, and it's setting up the fact that they're going to cure death later on in the movie, and it's just so out of place that you know that it's foreshadowing, and it destroys the emotional tension later on. And it's, it's poor storytelling. It's like, well, mm-hmm. we want to, we know where we want to go, mm-hmm. so we have to get there somehow. And here's the first thing that we thought of to get there with. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. It's like we know that Kylo Ren has to survive this movie. What's the easiest way to? And we know that we want Ray to defeat well, him, that's, right? That's what's why the I easiest get way. Get on board with it. It was too easy. It just felt right. like this is the answer that we need to like continue these movies. <laughs> Are you? What are you talking about? Han's death or the chasm opening in the earth? I mean, both of the. I felt like both of those things felt like that for me. So Han's death did not feel like that to me at all. Like that's the saving grace of this is that Han's death felt to me like they earned it because they're killing the most popular character in cinema history, mm-hmm. at least one of the most, if not the most popular character, and that is fucking ballsy. I mean, that takes some gigantic testicles. You know, like that's crazy. Like, that that takes so much gall. It really impresses me. Mm. And from a storytelling point of view, to kill one of the most beloved characters of all time absolutely raises the stakes to me. To kill him in a way that feels like anything is insane. Mm-hmm. And it's all sold by that moment where Han reaches up and touches Ben Solo's face. Ugh, beautiful, beautiful moment. <laughs> so, but the the chasm opening in the earth was yeah. like, this whole universe exists to continue our story. And that feels cheap to me. Mm. Felt very cheap. There were several moments throughout the course of the movie that felt that way. Another one of them was when R2-D2 wakes up at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And has like the piece to the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I read an interview with J.J. Abrams who said that when BB-8 meets R2-D2, yeah. he, he wakes him up. And it takes R2-D2 a while to process and come alive. Mm-hmm. And he says... The reason that it happens at that point in the movie is because you just lost a character. You need something back. That's cheap. Like, that is cheap. That is m- emotional manipulation. Right. Where it's not true to the story. It's not right. earned. It's only done that way just so that, the, that you can 
play with people's emotions. So you can kill Han Solo, and then you bring R2-D2 back so that you have a little moment of relief. Uh, that's the only reason that that was done. And J.J. has um, admitted to that. Yeah. And that really bothers me. But, okay, but then as soon as I saw the movie, I started reading up on all sorts of stuff. Like J.J. stuff or just all sorts of stuff? Everything about The Force Awakens. Okay. So one of the things I read was this article talking about how J.J. is brilliant at starting things, but doesn't know how to stick the landing. I wonder and, how his girlfriends feel about that. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so my, my big experiences with J.J. Abrams have been Lost and the Star Trek movies and now Star Wars The Force Awakens. Right. And Lost, he was not super involved. I mean, he helped create the show and helped write the first episode, directed the first episode, and then directed the first episode of season three and then was out. Wasn't he kind of involved in the whole first season, though? He was involved in, like, creating the arc of the first season, but he wasn't involved in the day-to-day writing or production of it. Mm-hmm. And he was, I mean, he was mostly involved with create, creating the first episode and then kind of turned it over to Damon Lindelof. So I, I, there's so much of Lost that I love, and I feel like it ended terribly. Yeah. And I've always blamed Damon Lindelof for that. Mm-hmm. And then Star Trek Into Darkness, I didn't like at all. I was very disappointed by. And I blamed Damon Lindelof for that also because he got a writing credit on that movie. And he didn't get one on the first movie even though he did help write that first movie. He he contributed to the story. So for a long time I was blaming Damon for all of these problems in these (laughs) franchises that I loved. But then The Force Awakens comes out and of course there's so much that I love about it. So much that I love about it. And overall, I fucking love this movie. Mm -hmm. But... There's this sense that this sense of like not earning your story moments of just kind of getting there conveniently, right? Right. That really bothered me, and it's the same sense that I got from Star Trek Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. And now I'm wondering, is this a JJ problem and not a Damon Lindelof problem? And I don't want to live in a time period for fandom where story moments are gotten to easily and nobody cares. Like right. I want people to care about that. So that's the one thing about this movie that really upset me, where I want people to be upset that a chasm <laughs> opens in the earth no, and, that was and it easy. stops right. Ray from killing yeah. Kylo Ren. Yeah. I want people to be upset that R2-D2 awakens right. at an easy moment mm-hmm. to soften With the, the blow. <laughs> when all, both of those things, there is another way. Yeah. And Lawrence Kasdan is writing this movie, and he's... A great writer. I mean, he wrote Empire Strikes Back. God bless this man, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm sure they could have come up with something else. And I I also know that they made this movie incredibly fast. Mm -hmm. And maybe they just didn't have the time to think it through. The whole, like, Poe Dameron's arc made absolutely no sense. He's there. You think he's dead. (laughs) When obviously he's not. He's just super hot and charming. That's all he needs to do. Yeah. And, I mean, he was by far the most charming person in this movie besides Han Solo. He was, yeah. Very charming. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't quite enough of him. Captain Phasma was awesome mm-hmm. and barely in the movie. I mean, come right. on. Like, why was she Why was she barely in the movie? I really felt like a lot I of also things... I don't know why they used... What's her name? What's her real name from Game of Thrones? Gwendolyn Christie. Yes. Uh, why was she her? And then we never saw her. <laughs> well... 
All I can hope for is that she comes back in the next movie. I'm sure she's going to be a major part of the next movie, which is why they invested in her. Yeah. Because otherwise, I'm like, I don't understand why you spend so much money in this random person's voice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was really disturbed by that. Because in the the first scene of the movie, when Gwendolyn Christie shows up on that planet and... I, when you when you meet Kylo Ren for the first time, and one of his cronies is Captain Phasma, and she's so fucking rad, mm-hmm. it was really compelling to see this group of bad guys show up. And you have you know General Hux, who is who I really liked. I mean, a lot of people didn't like him. No, I liked him. Who didn't like him? Well, people felt like he was. Uh, I don't know. I I was I was chatting with someone who thought that he was too young, and I thought about that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've decided that I disagree because Snoke is running these bad guys. Snoke is using young people who are easily manipulated to do his bidding. Right. To carry out his like will. the Hitler youth. Like the Hitler youth, exactly. It totally made sense to me. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, it works for me. It works for me. So yeah. I was okay with that. And I thought that, uh, what what's his name? Who played General Hux? It's uh What is I don't what is it is exactly like we both name? started snapping just now. Yeah. What's his name? What's his name? That guy. <clears throat> Snappy McSnap. <laughs> I know him from like a bunch of romantic comedies, which is why it's funny to see him in this role now. Well he was in the he was one of the Weasleys. Oh, and he was also one of the Weasleys, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he was also in some romantic comedies. <laughs> <laughs> what is his name? Donald Gleason, that's his name. Yes. Yeah, I liked him a lot. So the one speech when he's given the speech in front of like the huge crowds and he's just screaming and spitting, I'm like, yeah, this guy's a bad guy and he means it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was the most Nazi part of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, liked I was it. like, holy shit, the First Order equaled Nazi. Well, yeah, the Imperials are very Nazi. I mean, I know, stormtroopers. No, they are, are, they are. But this was like even like more uber Nazi than anything that had come before. Yeah, yeah, which is great. How'd you feel about Starkiller Base? Starkiller Base? Yes, yeah, the new Death Star. Oh, like the giant planet that's yeah. also a Death Star? Yeah. I don't know. I felt neutral about it. Yeah, it doesn't feel as exciting because it's like you can't like destroy it with one fighter. It doesn't feel as containable. Hmm. It just felt like they were trying to make up a bigger, better, badder version of the Death Star. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. part of me Especially is like... Especially that scene where they were like, this was the Death Star. This is the new <laughs> shit. <laughs> and it's like 10 times bigger than the Death Star. And I'm like, okay, we get it. It's like a modern version. Yeah. That just part, like- of me, part of me was like, well, yeah. Fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> this is the modern version of Star Wars. Let's just up the ante on everything. Right. Yeah. I didn't like that. Um... Man. But somehow it was still the exact same scenario to destroy it. <laughs> right. Because it was like just one fighter can make it into the like tiny hole in this like planet. Very to erotic. Destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now let's blow this thing and go home. Let's blow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what's happening. That was a new hope in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah. Um,. But yeah, I mean, I guess it was the same movie, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which um, honestly I don't have a problem with. Because it, you're setting up this new world. You're setting up this new age of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. 
why not remake A New Hope and prove that we can do it and then move on? So I, ho- I hope the next one's going to be so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so refreshing and yeah. new. <laughs> the one part of this movie that broke from the emotional template of A New Hope was the ending. Mm-hmm. And it really surprised me because I, I was so very aware on the f- first viewing that it was a remake, not necessarily, well, I, a remake of the of the events of A New Hope, but yeah. also of the emotional beats of A New Hope. More mm-hmm. importantly, the emotional beats, mm-hmm. which is why I knew that Han Solo was going to die uh, because it was going to parallel Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I thought was brilliant. I mean, I really thought it was brilliant to do that. Anyway, so the one moment that kind of, went away from that is that at the end of A New Hope you destroy the Death Star then you have the celebration scene and you're done mm-hmm. this one you destroy Starkiller Base you have a celebration scene and then Rey flies off to find Luke Skywalker right which I Alone. was they chose her to do that yeah yeah and I was convinced that that wasn't going to happen in this movie I was convinced that we just weren't going to see Luke mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. because it didn't fit with the template of a new hope for that to happen at the end and then she goes to this planet and then i felt like i was in new territory which was really exciting at the end of the film to feel like i was in new territory Mm -hmm. because there's so much familiarity and so much joy in the revisiting of the star wars universe that i knew and loved from when i was a kid in a way that the prequels didn't give me and so much of me was just so incredibly satisfied that that's the way they decided to go right (laughs) Like, that's what we're going to do with it. But then you get to the end, and then they take a left turn, where they go somewhere new. Right. And they go to find Luke Skywalker, right. and then Ray and Luke just stare at each other. Okay, when you saw the back of Mark Hamill's uh, hood, yeah. when you turned around, were you like, is this going to be like Mark Hamill slash Yoda? Just like a hybrid of the two of them? Because no. I have expected to see like a Mark Hamill that was also Yoda at the same time, <laughs> you know? That... Literally, never crossed my mind. <laughs> all right. Well, we all have different takes on that last scene. <laughs> um, no, yeah. But no, they know. just had like the like longest staring contest ever. They which did. Which was like not satisfying at all. And I'm like, you wouldn't yeah. stare at her that long without saying anything. This right. is clearly just for the movie. <laughs> and it's so funny because like I really wanted to hear him speak. I wanted to hear him say something. But yeah. you know what? They fucking got us because we're going to buy that ticket to the next movie immediately. <laughs> and his hair was glorious. Like I could only see some strands of it, I guess. Oh, my God. He pulled his hood back and I was like, dude, you've got back? Like, fucking 80s hair. I guess hair. I can't even remember. His hair was so it 80s. It was long, though. It was very long. Yeah. And that was the biggest surprise of the whole movie to me was how long his hair was. <laughs> I mean, I even he turned to my friends. Since the last movie, it was like thirty yeah. years. <laughs> when the movie ended, I was like, biggest shock of the movie: <laughs> Luke Skywalker's long hair. Uh, so surprised by it. Yeah. But I really wanted to hear him speak because when the this the trailer came out that had the uh, the voiceover by Mark Hamill, it yeah. was voiceover from Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So it was it was his young voice. Right. And I have been dying to hear what he sounds like now as as luke skywalker because i watch a youtube video i don't know like well no because like mark hamill's a voice actor so he's very uh, good with his voice i see but he's aged so much and his voice has dropped his voice has deepened yeah and i really wanted to hear what he sounded like now mm-hmm. and to be that close but not get it was like devastating it's, it's a little devastating yeah so uh 
but man, I mean, what a weird, different way to end a Star Wars movie. Every Star Wars movie has ended on a wide shot of people celebrating, right? Mm, that's well, true. Kind of, kind, kind of. of. I mean, we're yeah, trying yeah. to. Empire Strikes Back is not necessarily a celebration. It's a wide shot of people being relieved. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful wide shot. And this one was like two people standing on a mountaintop staring at each other. I That's know. so different. Just two of them. Yeah. One arm extended, another eye, set of eyeballs looking at yeah. that arm. And I guess there's precedent for that. I mean, I take what I take, I take, I take this back because in uh, in Revenge of the Sith, it's just two people staring off into the sunset. But that still feels like an ending shot. And the last shot of this movie did not feel like an ending shot. Mm-mm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And the music did not really feel like ending music. And then all of a sudden you go like, and it's like, what? I mean, it's very jarring. I mean, very jarring ending where you just jump from this really intense emotional moment right. to like right. hero music. <laughs> <laughs> Should we uh, end this podcast with a so- with a new song about the last scene? Yes. Of The Force Awakens? Yes. All right. Would you like to start? I mean, you're going to have to explain <laughs> what you're talking about. What are we talking Okay. Are we singing a song about We're Luke just going to make Ray? up a song right now. We're going to make up a song about the longest staring contest in the world. Okay. All right. <laughs> you have to go first, though. You're the musician. I feel like it has to start with, like, hello. <laughs> I will stare at you a thousand times. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I don't know any of the other words in that song. I don't know either. Okay. Um. Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it, right? <laughs> oh, man. That's it. Just, like, take me through your songwriting process. Let's just, like, make a song right now. All right. Oh, this is not how. This is not my songwriting process. I'm just clapping. Here's the beat. It's a hands. Ray, I haven't seen you since you were a little girl. I like you go Broadway. Ray, I think that you're my daughter. I don't know. Papa. Ray, the last time I tried, he went bad. <laughs> I just want to learn how to be a Jedi. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> That's, was, I think we just did a whole musical. That's enough. That was brilliant. Nobody needs anything else. Podcast gold. <laughs> All right. I'm Hashtag gonna, good pod. I'm going to end this now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha